I guess, like, the weirdest thing about it for me is that I was, during reading this, I was reflecting on, like, my experience of reading this in school and reading other Holocaust books in school. Yeah. And I was thinking, we kind of just had this one unit where we really intensely focused on the Holocaust and then didn't really ever talk about it again. Yeah. It just kind of, like, was this huge dump whenever they decided we were old enough for it. And that's really bizarre to me. Like, okay, time for the Holocaust unit. <laughs> like, why? Yeah, and I don't know. It's just, it's it's bizarre. Because we did, like you were saying, like, we talked about Anne Frank. We did yeah. Number of the Stars. We did all that. But then it, we never went fully in depth about, like, the implications of it. And no. I guess that, that's, like, where it could be corrected. You know what I mean? Like, you could actually talk about the Holocaust and why it was horrible. And, like, because there's only so much you can say, like, yeah, people were murdered. And a lot of people were, you know, killed in these ovens and blah, blah, blah. But, like, we still have people coming out of it and making Holocaust jokes and mm-hmm. doing all these things. Like, when is it? actually going to be taught in a way that's taken seriously yeah you know it's sort of i guess reflecting on my experience with it as a kid it was sort of removed from any context yeah like it, it felt like something that had happened in a vacuum Mm-hmm. well because you think like this couldn't happen to us and then it's literally like happening in our country and there's nothing we can do about it you know yeah Hey, anyway. So, this is our episode about (laughs) (laughs) Number the Stars by Lois Lowry. Wait, did we do, did we officially do our intro? I don't know. I feel like it's somewhere. Somewhere in there. It was there or is now or in the future. I've read that. I'm Summer. I'm Michelle. Um, and we're going to talk about Number of the Stars today. And yes. Michelle already mentioned that, but, you know, we're going to talk about Number of the Stars today. Yeah. Um, this is yeah. A, this was a um, an interesting thing for me to revisit because I really liked Lois Lowry as a kid. I read a mm-hmm. lot of Lois Lowry books. I was a big fan of The Giver. Uh-huh. Um. Which, if I have to be honest, I reread The Giver as an adult, and it had kind of lost a lot of its shine to me. Um, But it was sort of a good reminder that what's appealing to an adult and what's appealing to a child are not necessarily the same. And it's good to be mindful of that when Mm -hmm. talking about children's lit. Yeah, and so this one is a... um... This particular book, and I mean, her other books are pretty quick, too, the ones that I know of. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was a pretty quick read. Michelle and I were talking about how we both finished it, like, in less than a day and less, you know, like, yeah, like in a, a couple, a, a couple of hours. hours. Yeah. Um, um, so I'll do a quick, just, I have just Lois Lowry's uh, webpage pulled up. Sure. So I'm just going to go through that real quick and kind of read that. 
Um, because we were just talking about how this is such a quick read, and it would be quick to summarize, that it's hard, I guess, to find a lot to talk about. So we'll still go through our um, our normal things that we go through, but this might be a shorter episode. Um, depends on what our <laughs> conversations are like. Yeah, we might end up talking for two hours, and then you're going to look so silly. <laughs> Right. I mean, we already spent the first 20 minutes of us <laughs> recording talking about something completely unrelated to the book, but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. We haven't talked. Gotta get the pipes warmed up. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the morning. <laughs> yep. I just woke up a couple of um, hours you know, ago. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, so this is the biography from Lois Lowry's website. Um, so she says... I've always felt that I was fortunate to have been born the middle child of three. My older sister, Helen, was very much like our mother. Gentle, family-oriented, family oriented, easy to please. Little brother John was the only boy and had interests that he shared with dad. Together, they were always working on electric trains and erector sets. And later, when John was older, they always seemed to have their heads under the raised hood of a car. That left me in between and exactly where I wanted, to, wanted most to be, on my own, I was a solitary child who lived in a world of books and my own vivid imagination. Because my father was a career military officer and army dentist, I lived all over the world. I was born in Hawaii, moved from the from there to New York, where I began school. Oh my god. <laughs> where I began school. When the war began, dad had to go overseas and mother took us back to the town of Carlisle, Pennsylvania, where she had grown up and where my grandparents lived. I finished elementary school there, and during the summer, followed six, uh, following sixth grade, we moved to Tokyo, where I went through seventh and eighth grades. I graduated from high school in New York City, but by the time I went to college, Brown University in Rhode Island, my family was living in Washington, D.C. So she got married super young, her sophomore year of college. Um, she had a couple kids, and then she ended up going back to graduate school. And she was writing professionally, and um, she got divorced in 1977, but then she met someone else that she spent 30 years with okay. um, that passed away in 2011, and so she lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts now, living alone, writing in a house dominated by a very shaggy Tibetan terrier named Alfie and a funny <laughs> little cat named Lulu. Um, but a very happy part of my time is spent as well in Maine in a 17... 17- 68 farmhouse surrounded by meadows and flower gardens and often with visiting grandchildren which kind of reminds me of the setting that's um, the life like her uncle's house is kind of like it reminds me of that yeah um so uh, something i want to say so she mentions about how her books have varied uh, a varied style and content style and she says numbered the stars set in a different culture and era tells the same story that of a role that we humans play in the lives of our fellow beings and she was also relating to her first book called a summer to die um and it says it was a highly fictionized retelling of the early death of my sister Mm. um and how it affected a family so she was saying that number the stars talks about like just the role that humans play okay um yeah so i thought that was interesting that she traveled around a lot and she liked to be alone a lot and that kind of Fits in with her writing style. Mm-hmm. Um, writing about different cultures, writing about different things. And then, I mean, as a writer, a lot of the time you, you know, you seem to be solitary. Somebody who loves to write and read. Um, yeah. That's definitely a thing that happens. It's sort of the very 
it's a very cliche picture of a writer that's also has a lot of truth to it because you know the work you do as a writer necessitates you being in a quiet room Mm-hmm. by yourself for a lot of the yeah. day <laughs> just as a function of getting things done so before we get into this stuff which I guess we could touch on this is um something I want to talk about I'll just make a little note is about like kind of what you were talking about with the holocaust units how it's like yeah we talk about them we mention them but we don't go into them it's kind of what this story does this is kind of like the German kind of almost, I mean, like, ignorant, innocent childhood perspective of what's going on during the Holocaust. Um, Yeah. And it doesn't really delve deeper than that. Yeah, I was sort of reflecting on the Holocaust books that I had read. um, Ones that are um, geared toward children, adolescents, and then up through high school. Um... And I, I found that they kind of fell into three different categories when I when I started thinking about them. So there were stories about the direct experience of actually being affected by the Holocaust. So things like um, The Diary of Anne Frank, mm-hmm. Night, mm-hmm. Night I read in high school. Yeah, that was, oof. That's a, that's a difficult Very one to good. get through, but yeah. So, you know, I can see why it's held off for high schoolers. Um, And then uh, The Devil's Arithmetic Mm -hmm. and Briar Rose by Jane Yolen. I don't know if you've ever read that one, but it's another um, Holocaust book that sort of deals with the direct experience of what it's like. And then there are stories like this about sort of a peripheral experience. Um, where the main character is like someone who's not directly affected, but mm-hmm. is but knows someone who is. Yeah, you're and, like removed from it. Yeah, and maybe is like in a helper kind of role. So like this, and then the book thief, I thought kind of fell into that category. There's a um, a, one of our SSYRA books this year for three to five, and it's called The Bicycle Spy, okay. and it's a short read, but it's good. But it's about this boy who loves riding his bicycle and all this different stuff. He's obsessed with the Tour de France, but it's during World War II, and there is no Tour de France. It's been, you know, like, canceled for the past couple years because Mm -hmm. of the Nazis. And he meets this other girl who likes riding bicycles, loves the Tour de France, all this different stuff. Well, it turns out she's Jewish, and she's, her and her family are pretending not to be Jewish. Mm -hmm. And so then it's kind of like this where his family is actually, like, part of the resistance, and he Mm -hmm. eventually has to help. So it's, it's very inspired by this I feel like or maybe they wrote a very similar story you know didn't even realize it but he's you know helping his family at a point um like deliver stuff with his bicycle not all the time but it happens a couple times in the story um so it's pretty interesting so they're they're they people are still writing books that are yeah similar that are still talking about this and I haven't read it but I would assume from what I know about it that the boy in the striped pajamas would also yeah. fall into this category of kind of being more centered on someone who's experienced like it. kind of um, witnessing what's happening. Um, and then I was also thinking about stories about Holocaust survivors in the modern day. Um, 
and Briar Rose and the Devil's Arithmetic have sort of some of that. And then a book called Tunes for Bears to Dance to by Robert Cormier. Um, also kind of shows, and I think that's a, an interesting kind of book because it does contextualize the Holocaust more in terms of how a modern contemporary contemporary reader might understand its place in history and its place in the world instead of it being almost feeling like a fictional event that has no context um mm. but i um that's a that's a good point it it's almost like some of these books are trying so hard to dance around I guess, like, the the Mm -hmm. reality and violence of the Holocaust, that it does make it seem fictional. And maybe that's why so many people feel removed from it, is because it doesn't sound real. Because there are so many books, so many things that have been written that just, it it seems like fiction, right? It seems like it's so, like, it could never happen, that type of thing. And I think that's what's really interesting about a book like The Devil's Arithmetic, because the Mm -hmm. character in that travels through time yeah and goes from being someone in the modern day to actually going back and witnessing what happened and she kind of has that that feeling that Mm -hmm. vibe of like oh this is whatever like learning about the holocaust Ooh, you know like it it's not that big of a deal and then she goes back and experiences it and it's like terrifying because that's how it was i feel like that's one of the um one of the I guess, best representations of that type of story where mm-hmm. somebody's removed and then they get thrown into it because it really opens your eyes and lets you, like helps you to see how terrible this truly was. Yeah. So um, what we have with Number the Stars is this kind of story where we have a character who's kind of on the periphery. I mean, she is involved in ways and she has, you know, action scenes and she has... You know, they're threatened in a very real way by their involvement with their Jewish family friends. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's not like we are getting the story from the perspective of the Jewish family. It's got this degree of removal. And so I have, I I wanted to read this quote. I'm getting academic again um, because that's my comfort zone, but it's. From um, an article, actually an article about the book Thief, um, it's called Into Eternity's Certain Breadth, Ambivalent Escapes in the Book Thief by Jenny Adams. It was published in Children's Literature and Education in 2010. Um, And it says... uh, Yeah, you can hear my cat meowing outside the door because he wants to be in here with me. Um, So it says, I refer here to the observations of Lydia Coccola and others regarding the atypicality of Holocaust material as a subject matter for young people's literature. Coccola states that one can argue that any writing about the Holocaust for children breaks a strict taboo, that children are not to be frightened. Echoing Lawrence Barron's observation that parents and teachers naturally want to avoid traumatizing children and adolescents with overly graphic depictions of violence or instilling in them a sense of despair about human nature. Mm-hmm. Despite this focus on protecting young readers, contributions to a youth literature of the Holocaust proliferate. 
As critics including Coca-Cola, Elizabeth Baer, and Kenneth Kidd observe, a phenomenon Kidd links to a growing, a growing acceptance of the opposing idea that young readers should be exposed to rather than shielded from atrocity. Such debate indicates a perceived necessity that Holocaust literature for young people negotiates the conflicting imperatives of protection from and exposure to trauma. This apparent paradox has prompted the suggestion that such projects necessitate a double narrative approach, which simultaneously respects our need for hope and happy endings, even as it teaches us a different lesson about history. Barron presents one example of what such an approach might entail, observing in Holocaust films aimed at children a contradiction between the experiences of central characters who usually survive and peripheral characters who often meet with a more historically representative fate. So I thought it was interesting, this idea that maybe a lot of the reason that we have books that are sort of from a peripheral experience is so that you can have a happy ending. Yeah. And that's <laughs> not necessarily possible with someone who's under the most direct kind of danger from the mm -hmm. Holocaust. Yeah. And a lot of those stories, like the real stories, did not have happy no. endings. Yeah. So, you know. And so it's this kind of mm -hmm. really difficult line to walk, I think, um, between, like it said, respecting our desire for a happy ending and acknowledging that historically that's not really what happened. Mm-hmm. And it is tough. It's a tough. It's a tough subject to talk about. Yeah. But it's a necessary subject to talk about. Um. And it's difficult to know. Like especially in an educational setting, it's like. When are you overstepping your bounds as a teacher, as an educator, mm -hmm. teaching a student about these things, and what are they responsible for learning, like from their parents, and like. Because that's the problem is sometimes there are things that are necessary to teach. Mm -hmm. Like the Holocaust. Like how violent it was. How terrible it was. But like you're saying, we wait until high school when we're, we formed a lot of ideas. And I know you can change after high school. Like especially, you know, going to college, a lot of things change. Like yeah. for me, especially. So, you know, teaching something like the Holocaust, Holocaust in high school in some cases is a little too late. Because some people have made up their minds in high school. Yeah. And especially if you're if you're staying, like, I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but it's like if you're staying in your hometown and you're not going off somewhere and you're not, you know, getting out, you don't really, ex you don't have those experiences. You don't get to experience anything different and your mindset may not change. Yeah. So sometimes we need to start these things early and let them know about how, horribly things were early on yeah in order to help develop you know more of that empathy i guess um as you grow older and that's really the value of fiction i think is mm -hmm. um letting you experience something that you would not experience um or that you have not experienced and kind of understanding what's the right way to navigate the situation how do these characters react when these things happen? Um, and 
I think the real difficulty of it is is the balance between, you know, obviously if you're talking about children and younger children, because I think this book felt to me like it was geared toward a pretty young audience. Mm-hmm. Um, some things about the way it was written, which I can get into later. Um, so it's like on the one hand, you, you know, you don't want to, traumatize children and yes, of course. scare them and make them feel like the world is hopeless and horrible. But <laughs> <laughs> you also run the risk of doing too little and mm-hmm. not instilling an appropriate amount of reverence and respect for the fact that something like this did happen. Mm-hmm. And I think the other risk that I started wondering about as I read this book is what is it like to read these kind of books if you are a Jewish child. Yeah. Because I don't really imagine that being a pleasant experience. Um, And I say Jewish because I think these books largely are focused on Jewish victims of the Holocaust. There were Mm -hmm. many other victims of the Holocaust, but I think I, I don't really know of any books that focus on other, and I'm sure they're out there, I just don't know of them focus on other populations that were affected by the Holocaust. Yeah. I haven't really heard of... It's it's mostly focused on the Jewish experience, I think, because that was the majority, but... Yeah, it was the largest... People of color that were murdered, or people who were, you know, Romani, quote-unquote, gypsies, that were murdered. Like, all these different... Just people, disabled people Mm -hmm. who... Or people with disabilities, I apologize, that were, you know... I'm more in favor of saying disabled people, but it's potato potato i think yeah i see i'm not a a person who's disabled or a disabled person so i don't know how it would be said i'm ignorant to that there's this whole this has nothing to do with anything but like the whole people first language like some people love it some people hate it it's so weird yeah yeah so it's like for me i guess i just have to take it as if somebody who is a disabled person or a person who's disabled like tells me they prefer it one way, then that's the way I'll say it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's just like, I, I just, I, <laughs> take it me, as it comes. Yeah, I'm like, I, I'm not sure how to do this, so I'll roll with it when it happens, <laughs> when it comes up. Yeah, and uh, gay people too, and other ethnic yes. minorities, and yep. religious minorities, and yep, yep, yep. Um, people, POWs from the Soviet Union. I mean, there was all these different yes. things, um, but... Yeah. The literature like tends to focus on Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So. Should we... You want to do a plot summary? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So just a quick summary, because it is actually a quick story. Mm-hmm. So the story opens, and we see... Um, Anne-Marie Johansson is the main character, um, and they live in Copenhagen in 1943. Um, and she has her best friend, Ellen, who's Jewish, and they're, like, racing with her younger sister as well, um, with Anne-Marie's younger sister. And they're racing home, and they bump into these Nazi soldiers, Mm -hmm. and that's the first... I mean, obviously, they've been around, and they talk about how they've been around, but that was, like, one of their first major encounters like, being the, I guess, focus of these Nazi soldiers. Um, And they're scared, and they go home, and they tell their parents about it, and they are concerned about it, and tells them to take a different route because they don't want to bring attention to themselves. And then 
not much later, Jewish businesses start to close. Um, and so it turns out that, like, people are being told, like, not to shop these shops and mm-hmm. they're making them close their shops. And then eventually people who are Jewish are being taken away. So um, Ellen is taken to Anne Marie's house because they have extra room and she it would be better for her to be separated from her parents mm-hmm. so it wasn't easy for them to get and so um that night that her parents leave with Peter who would have been Anne Marie's brother-in-law um but her sister had died a couple years earlier or yeah I think it was a couple years earlier um, it must have been the beginning of the, maybe like 1940 or so. Um, but uh, Ellen pretends to be Anne-Marie's sister. And that night, Nazi soldiers come to their door, like really early in the morning. And they question, you know, why she has darker hair and why she doesn't look like her. But then um, they're able to present this photo of Anne-Marie's real sister when she was younger. And thankfully she had darker hair. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of draw the soldiers away. And then not too long after, they go to, um, I guess it's the next day, um, they go to Anne-Marie's mother's brother's house that's like out in the country, and he is a fisherman. Yeah. And um, so then next thing I know, and Anne-Marie is kind of just like, oh, okay, we're going to visit Uncle Heinrich. Like she knew that something was up and something wasn't normal. But she kind of still doesn't fully understand it. Yeah, she's pretty oblivious. Yeah. And largely because the adults are just not telling her what's going on. Yeah, and even her younger sister, Christy, is kind of like a pistol. She, like, kind of just speaks her mind and does her own thing. She stressed me out. Yes, yes, for sure. And so it's like, even with the first Nazi soldiers, she, like, kind of talks back to them. Yeah. And they kind of laugh, like, laugh her off like she's, like, a silly little girl, but it's also, like if she would have said something she you know that would have set them off like yeah that would be it you know um and you know Anne Marie kind of draws on that the power her her younger sister's (laughs) her power later in the story but um so they're at their uncle's house with Ellen and she still hasn't seen her parents you know for a couple days and they bring this like there's a hearse and this coffin comes and you know they start saying, oh, this is our great aunt Bertie, or Bert, you know, has died, and we're having this, like, memorial service for her. We're, we're all coming to the house, and everybody's, you know, coming to meet, and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, Anne Marie's like, I don't recall anybody ever mentioning this person. I don't know who this person is, but I guess, you know, people are coming. And so people start coming to the house that she doesn't recognize, and she's just very confused at the whole situation. I can't imagine being a child you know, in that situation, like you're saying, like, these people are not telling you what's going on. Mm-hmm. You're already confused about the situation. And this whole thing is happening with this, like, funeral of a person that you know you've never heard of and these people that you don't know, but they're supposed to be your family. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so soldiers come and investigate and they're kind of asking them a lot of questions and all these different stuff. And they eventually get them to go away because they tell them that the aunt um, died of, what was it? Was it like yellow fever or cholera? Oh, typhus, typhus. Yeah, one of those. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> one of the, diseases. the many ones. So she died of typhus. And so the soldier like smacks Anne Marie's mother and is like, 
how dare you think that we wanted to get this disease as well? You <sighs> keep your diseased body. Well, and of course, it turns out that there was nothing in the coffin. And actually, all of these people are people who are Jewish who they're trying to smuggle across to Sweden. Sweden, yeah. And so, you know, in they kind of have to be careful about this. And they kind of have to, after the soldiers leave and they're not like, you know, they give it a, a little bit to make sure that they're not going to return. Um, they start bringing these people through a path through the woods mm-hmm. to her uncle's boat so under his boat he had built like this whole thing um where they could hide people and so even like one of the oh and and in that time ellen's parents actually come and so they're reunited and um that kind of gives you that like okay they're back together that's great and meanwhile Anne marie still doesn't quite understand what's going on so then um and i don't think she really understands the full extent of it until the end of the story and even then i don't think she could understand the extent of it if she didn't know what was happening to no. the people who were jewish you know and during this time she also you know had hidden um ellen had a necklace with the star of david on it and she had hidden it in her house before all of this stuff happens and then that comes back into play later um yeah. They sneak the people through the woods, and so Anne-Marie's mother is gone. She tells her she'll be back in the morning, but, you know, if anything happens to her, just basically, like, hold tight. Like, she will be back, that type of stuff. Yeah. So then she's still not back. She's still not back. Anne-Marie is so worried. Um, Oh, and something else that happened. When the Rosens were leaving, the father had tripped, and and the Rosens are Ellen's family. Um, The father had tripped, and... Then it kind of got back up, and then they they hurried off to the boat. Well, when Anne Marie wakes up, she notices like, oh no, she what what does she do? She finds her mother has like broken her ankle. Yeah, she's like looking out the window. Yeah, and then she sees her mom collapsed on the ground. Yeah, and apparently her mom had been like crawling mm-hmm. for like hours, you know, trying to get back. Um, and they realize that when. Mr. Rosen tripped, this package that he was supposed to bring with him, this, like, handkerchief, was dropped. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her mother's like, you must get there, bring this lunch to your uncle. If you don't bring this, like, everything will be ruined and all this different stuff. And so she's still, like, confused. And she's still not sure what's going on, but she knows that this is important. Yeah. And so her mother tells her, like, you know the way through the woods, take the way through the woods, try to avoid the road, like, do everything you can And so she does that, and she is stopped by some soldiers. And so she has, you know, lunch for her uncle. And it is, like, like bread and meat and cheese and all this stuff. And so basically the entire lunch gets ruined. But the dog seems to be, like, really obsessed with this handkerchief. But there's nothing wrong with it. And so the soldiers are kind of like, okay, whatever. And she, like I said, she draws on her sister's power and kind of just acts like a silly girl. Mm -hmm. And she takes it as, like, Little Red Riding Hood type um experience of like the soldiers being the wolf and the you know with the dogs and everything. She kind of like pretends to throw a tantrum. Yeah. That they're yeah, she, ruining the fake lunch. Yeah, so she's doing all this stuff and it's pretty smart actually. Um and so then she makes it to her uncle her uncle's boat and gives him the handkerchief and it turns out that there's something that's on this handkerchief. Some kind of that chemical. Keeps, yeah, some type of chemical that keeps 
the German dogs from being able to smell humans because that's what they're looking for, obviously. And so they needed this handkerchief or the dogs would have smelled the people that are hiding under the boat. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they kind of, they they go back home and they kind of talk about it a little bit, but Anne-Marie is still kind of not really understanding it. And so they start to talk and they, you know, they're talking about how her sister was actually part of the resistance and she ended up dying because of, like, because she was helping and German soldiers ran her down. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Peter, her sister's fiancé, you know, ex-fiancé, when she she passes away, um, they find out that he's part of the resistance, like, you know, not too much later, like a couple months later, and he gets shot and he dies. Um, And then Anne-Marie, like, keeps thinking about Ellen and, like, wants to write notes to Ellen, and then she ends up wearing the pendant, and she says she's going to wear it until, you know, Ellen is able to return to Denmark, Mm -hmm. you know, to be where her home is, basically. And that kind of wraps up the book. Um, Yeah. So it's a, like we said, it's a quick read. It's a quick story. Um, It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Despite the fact that the reader, like Anne-Marie, kind of doesn't know what's going on a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, like, as an adult, and having learned about the Holocaust and having learned about all this stuff, like, for so long, you obviously, like, rereading it, you you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why it gives you anxiety. Yeah. But as a kid, I like, I wonder what it would be like to read this again, completely, like, ignorant to and, like, unaware of the Holocaust. Like, if you were actually a, a child reading this, like, what would it feel like? Because yeah. I don't remember what it, it felt like to read this because I've, you know, we've done so much having to do with the Holocaust growing up that it's like, yeah, how would it be to read this, you know? And I, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I felt like this is geared toward a very young yeah. reader. I don't know. I haven't looked up like what the official age recommendation for this book is, but the fact that it kind of, for the full impact of the story, it sort of relies on the reader also being kind of ignorant. Yeah. Um... So that you're more fully immersed in Anne-Marie's perspective of also being ignorant to what's going on. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think um, that made me feel like this is more appropriate for maybe kind of an introduction to this subject matter for a younger child is that mm-hmm. Anne-Marie never really struggles... Like, she never has any kind of moral, ethical struggle. She always knows what the right thing to do is. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, her parents are right. Everyone in her life is right. The bad guys are wrong. She never has a moment where she has to kind of, like, make her own ethical choices. Mm -hmm. Because it's sort of handed to her the correct way. And I think that's better for a very young reader because it's um this more didactic thing of this is the correct way to act if you're faced with a situation like this whereas i think an older reader like a middle school reader or a high school reader um something better for them would be showing a character who struggles with making the right decision like maybe a character i mean it's i never i haven't seen jojo rabbit yet but it's like showing a character who's like somebody who's in Hitler's youth mm-hmm. and like maybe they're having these like conflicting emotions about like do I be here for my country like for Germany mm-hmm. or do I do the right moral thing and like 
try to help these people that are obviously being persecuted for no reason. Yeah. You know, like no no real logical reason. And so it's been a few years since I've read The Book Thief. I think The Book Thief is a little more like that, um, where it's there is kind of a struggle to... Um, to reconcile your personal ethics with, like, what everyone in your culture, you know, everything around you is saying something that's counter Mm -hmm. to what your moral compass says and how difficult that can be. And I think that's a really valuable lesson. I think it's one that would be lost on a very young child but would be very valuable for an older child. And I think something like this, where the character knows what the right thing is, no question, they have no qualms about doing the right thing, even though it's scary... That's a good example for a very young child, but I think an older child or a teenager would find it um, kind of unsatisfying, overly simplistic, not really realistic um, mm-hmm. in a way that's engaging for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they read this particular book like end of fourth grade, but really I think it's like fifth grade. Mm. I think it's like fourth grade, fifth grade, but really fifth grade. Um, that they read this book. Yeah. And they start talking about this. Um, and again, it's sort of that moral question as an educator of what age is appropriate to start mm-hmm. talking about things like this. And I don't think it's something that there's a firm answer on because no. I, it, I think it really depends on your personal philosophy of what is appropriate for children. And really, honestly, different children can handle things like this at different ages. It just, it depends on the maturity level of the child, which can vary wildly. And unfortunately, that's not something you can really adjust for in a public school system Mm -hmm. because you just have to do the curriculum for everyone because that's what you have time to do. Yeah. And resources to do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I think if, if you're a parent as opposed to an educator and you think your child could handle something like this at a younger age than fourth, fifth grade, I don't see that there would be any harm in that. Yeah. And this is a good in- introductory novel. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's very good. I mean, I could see even if you read this to your child when they were in maybe like third grade, mm-hmm. you could read it to your child or read it with your child. Um, and they might not understand things, but if you go through and you talk to them, about everything as you go through it I feel like there would be value in that yeah and I think Um, you know sitting down and saying like here's where you know take out a globe here's where Denmark is here's where Sweden is that's a valuable lesson in itself here's where Germany is yeah um you know this is the way that life is in another country that's that's another really valuable work of fiction I think for American children who can be a little bit um, USA centric mm-hmm. because we live in a large country and you know it's not like being a child in Europe where you can take a train to another country in the same day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like children and adolescents are already so self centered mm-hmm. just by nature that's just how it is yeah just you know you don't really start child development learn yeah (laughs) you don't learn anything you know you don't start to recognize people are different than you probably until middle school is like the big part but even then people are still very egocentric Mm -hmm. and so it's like 
you know, that it's, it's just good to start to learn about things yeah. that are different from yourself early on. And in my experience, honestly, children are very fascinated by different ways of life. Like, they like yeah. to know what people do in other countries or what people did in past times that are different. And, you know, sometimes they kind of giggle and, like, think it's weird because it's not what they're used to, but sort of gently reminding them, like, well, those people would think what you do is weird because they're used to it this other way. Mm-hmm. It's, I think that's a really valuable lesson for children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So I'm trying to think of, like, some of our questions that we have that we normally mm-hmm. go through. Um, so, I mean, main idea... I guess I could see it as being, like, like, empathy for those who, or I guess, like, in themes, I guess, mm-hmm. it's just, like, having em- empathy for those who are struggling or who for those who don't have as much, and also, I mean, it's that same old, same old, like, the loss of innocence type of thing, yeah. where it's, like, like, you're learning about, you're a child, and the next thing you know, you have to grow up because there's something terrible that's happening yeah and you lose your quote-unquote innocence of childhood because you're having to deal with this thing and I guess if you think about it yes Anne-Marie does deal with that a little bit you know like we talked about as the outsider Mm -hmm. but if you also think about it from Ellen's perspective where we don't get her perspective we get Anne-Marie's perspective how terrifying it must be from Ellen's perspective we have no closure about Ellen we don't even know if she made it to Sweden Mm mm-hmm well, do we? Do we? <laughs> Maybe I'm Hold wrong. On. No, you might be right. Um, I mean, I think we can, like, assume that they made it across safely. I think the tone of the ending would suggest that yeah. it's eventually going to be okay for these characters. Yeah, I'm thinking of, so in um, that Bicycle Spy book that I mentioned, mm-hmm. they do get a note back from, like, they don't get, like, a note from the person, but it's, like, a symbol mm-hmm. that she sends, basically, that lets them know that she's okay yeah. type of thing. So that's where I was getting confused with it, because <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that happening. No, it was this other book. Yeah, you're right. I don't think we ever get a confirmation. Yeah. But it's, like, assumed. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt so strongly for Ellen. Yeah. Just sort of imagining how she's feeling. And I think... um when you said empathy as a theme of this book, I think that is really one of the major ones. Um, And again, I think this is a very didactic book in that it teaches children how to engage with others. And there's this section where um, after, when they're at the cabin and after everyone goes to walk off to the boats and Anne-Marie is left behind, there's this whole scene where she's imagining what they're doing And I think that's a really almost sort of instruction book to children. Like, here's how you imagine the experiences of others. Here's how you engage in empathy. It says um, she traced their route in her mind. She knew the old path. Um, And she remembered the turns, the twisted trees whose gnarled roots pushed the earth now and then into knotted clumps. And the thick bushes that often flowered in early summer. She walked with them in her mind. And so it's sort of demonstrating. Here's Anne-Marie doing the imaginative work of empathy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great lesson. Yeah. And that one's on, in my book, it's on page 97. 
Um, so it's kind of the area that it is. Yeah. It's sort. It's like uh, maybe three fourths of the way through the book. Yeah, it's like very close to the end of the book. <laughs> I think another theme that emerged very strongly for me was, um, you know, what does it mean to be brave, mm-hmm. and how you can be brave even if you're scared. Which I think is another pretty empowering lesson for young readers. Um, I mean, everyone's afraid a lot of the time. I think children are afraid a lot of the time. And this idea that bravery is not not being afraid. It's working through your fear and doing what's right even though you're afraid. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Anne-Marie does. Yep. Yeah, and you kind of see, like, she's starting to realize, like, she is being brave, and she's starting to realize, and starting to grow up, too, Mm -hmm. um, when she sees it compared to, like, her younger sister. Yeah. How her younger sister is so oblivious to everything, who's so carefree, and, you know, Anne-Marie kind of sees it as, like, okay, I have to be the brave one, I have to step up, I have to do this now, because... I mean, even her older sister is gone. Her older sister's yep. dead. And so she has to be the one who's brave. She has to be the one to step up and do this. Um, and so that puts more pressure on her as well. And she seems to do this, though, in a very mature way, mm-hmm. despite still being a child. Um, yeah. And I think this shows strength that, you know as a child, as somebody who's young, as a young person, you can still have strength, you can be brave um, in difficult times like this. Yeah. And I, one of the most interesting parts of the book to me, and one of the places that I felt demonstrated the most maturity on Anne-Marie's part is when it's explained to her that she can't know everything that's going on Mm -hmm. and it's for her safety Mm -hmm. and she has to accept that and I think that's a very mature thing to do because you know when you're a kid you want to know everything you kind of think you're the center of the universe and it's a little difficult to accept that other people have lives and objectives that have nothing to do with you Mm mm-hmm and you have to be okay with that at some point. Mm-hmm. You can't know everything. Yeah. And, yep. And so that was the place that I felt like um, was the most indicative of her growing up throughout the course mm-hmm. of the novel was having to accept that she had to be ignorant. Even now I feel like I struggle with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's hard. Like, it's hard for adults. Yeah. <laughs> to... You know, I'm the kind of person that I, I'm kind of nosy. Like, I (laughs) I feel the need to be involved in everything. And it's, yeah, it's difficult to accept that Mm -hmm. other people have experiences that you don't need to be involved in. Yes, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) And sometimes you have to step back. As much as you want to be involved in this thing, you have to step Mm -hmm. back and you have to say, "Mm, maybe not. (laughs) This doesn't have anything to do with me. Staying in your lane. Yes, stay in your lane. Sometimes (laughs) you have to stay in your lane. Um, 
we kind of already talked about like things that we liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in the form of like the value of teaching as well. Like we talked about both of those things. Things disliked. I guess it kind of for me the things that I dislike is that it is so simplified. But we also talked about that where it is more of an introductory, yeah, type book. So as much as I could say, like, well, I didn't like how simplified this was, and it could have talked about the Holocaust more and gone into more of the terrible things, but that's not the point of the story. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like there's a there's another book that's written about, you know, there, there are other books that could focus on this. This one is focused on something different. Yeah, I, I, I felt the same way, um, and it was actually, like, it was sort of a humbling experience, and I mentioned this at the beginning, where the simplicity of it I find unsatisfying as an adult reader, Mm-hmm. But you have to yeah. step back and realize this is not for me. Yep. <laughs> this is a book for children. And children readers and adult readers have different needs. Yep. It's like the new Pokemon. It's not for <laughs> you. So let kids enjoy what they're going to enjoy. Or, you know, cartoons. Exactly. That adults get mad no, those about. Those are for me. I'm sorry. Those are for me. <laughs> for me personally. <laughs> I'm egocentric. <laughs> Some days. I've, no, I've never days. outgrown my egocentrism. <laughs> I, I forgot to do that. Yep. Sorry. I'll get, I'll get to that later. That's my New Year's Make resolution. It, that's one of those, like, Facebook t-shirts. Like, you know, you'd get an ad for it. It's like, <laughs> egocentrism? Never. <laughs> like, oh, no, I didn't outgrow that. <laughs> Don't talk to me till I've had my egocentrism. Yes. <laughs> That's really good. Can we make sure? Yeah, it's gonna go in our merch store. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I think, I mean, like, you know, this isn't a funny subject, but it is, you know, you still have to, like, like the way that our podcast is, obviously, we're goofy people. So we can be serious and have our serious talks. Yeah. But the jokes we're making have nothing to do with this book. Yeah, they don't have to do with the Holocaust. They don't have to do with the book. They have to do with us being dumb. Um, so. Speaking on that, because this is kind of a good place to end, I think we've kind of talked about everything Mm -hmm. that has to do with this novel. If we were talking about, you know, The Devil's Arithmetic or talking about that, maybe we'd go deeper into information about the Holocaust, maybe connect it with other texts. But right now, that's kind of the extent of this novel. I kind of like to keep it as a little, like, time, like a little capsule. Yeah. Where it's like, we're talking about this book, this is what we're you know, focus on, even though, like, to be fair, we don't focus on, you know, all the time, but you <laughs> we know don't what focus I mean. on anything. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I do, do you think have anything this else? is a pretty self-contained book. Yes. Um, yes. Self-contained, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> because there is so much ignorance and sort of yeah. veiled references to thing, I, things, I think it, it does stand pretty well on its own. And, you know, you could easily connect it to other books if, mm-hmm. if that was what you wanted to do. And, if you were doing a Holocaust unit, um, I think certainly it would be appropriate to compare and contrast it to other books. But on its own, it is... I don't know how to finish that sentence. On its own, it is on its own. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's just <laughs> kind of like it's its, its own thing, mm-hmm. and there's not much more to it than what's laid out in front of you. Yeah. I guess is the best way to say it. Like, it's... You go through the story, you read the story, it's easy to understand. I mean, for a child, of course, like a young young reader, um, it'll take a little bit more to understand it and maybe like a little bit of prompting to help them understand yeah. it. But as an adult reading it, it's very straightforward. It has its 
beginning, middle, end, and that's it. Yep. It's kind of laid out for you. Um, so on that note, it's time, Michelle, for Summer Spark Notes Twitter <laughs> oh my God. corner. <laughs> <clears throat> so not, you know, just to end it on a, a high note, and then we can pick our next book and what we're reading and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Okay, so not sponsored by Spark Notes. Not sponsored by Spark Notes, but hey, Spark Notes. Yeah, Spark Notes. <laughs> you know where to find us. <laughs> All right, so here's a good one. This is actually I hadn't seen this one until I pulled up the Spark Notes Twitter okay. again. A fresh, um, a fresh tweets. Fresh, fresh tweet. Twenty two hours ago. Yes, hot off the presses. Ladies, <clears throat> if he's and this is like it's got like bullet points basically. Always giving you one word responses unsupportive when you're visibly upset coming over unannounced in the middle of the night faintly tapping at your chamber door he's not your man he's the raven nothing more oh man i was so ready for that to be twilight honestly <laughs> he's he's edward cullen it's, it's, so if he's always giving you one responses unsupportive when you're visibly upset coming over unannounced in the middle of the night he's edward cullen That's up it. until he's not up until man. rapping at your cullen. chamber door i was convinced that it was twilight <laughs> Uh, self-care means luring men to your remote island and hunting them for sport. Yeah. Um, cute things to call your partner. Heretic, a cursed witch, foul sorceress, a wicked one, the she-devil herself. (laughs) If there's a raven tapping at your chamber door, let him inside. (laughs) I don't know how loud that was going to be, but that one was pretty good. Um... This one's really good. I, I This is the one that kind of I was excited about. Canceling plans is okay. Plotting against your treacherous uncle is okay. Staging a play to figure out whether he was responsible oh for the death God. of your father is okay. Accidentally stabbing your ex-girlfriend's father through a curtain is okay. Do what you need to do to cope. Oh my God. <laughs> I, 12 male, wound up stranded on an island, became obsessed with hunting pigs, and eventually gave myself over to bloodlust, which led to several de- deaths as well as the loss of innocence for everyone involved. AITA, which this is a family podcast, so I'm not going to say what it stands for, but it stands for Am I the Blank? Jerk. That starts with an A. Am I the Jerk? Yeah, that works. Oh, this one was good. It's hard to explain. So um, if you know the meme, and it looks like they actually retweeted this, so it wasn't something that they made. Um, it's the that guy, that like blonde haired guy who's just like blinking. He's like closing his eyes and kind of like looks confused. Okay, yeah, I can picture so, it. So the first panel is the guy with his eyes open and next to it is his him with his eyes closed. So the left side says Romeo and the right side says Juliet. So the guy with his eyes closed is under Romeo and then the eyes closed is under Juliet. And then the next panel is eyes closed under Romeo, eyes open under Juliet. And then the last one is him, face, it's him facing and with both eyes closed oh under Romeo and Juliet. Oh my god. Um, this one's good too. In honor of the Christmas holiday, Charles Dickens writing a nice festive Christmas story, and it's Eric Andre. What if it had ghosts? <laughs> <laughs> so there's some. There are very good ones, and I can't, you know, I can't use them all. <sighs> but okay, then we're kind of back to where last we saw. Oh, this one's good too. Give your significant other what they really want this holiday season: a cursed portrait in the attic that will grant them eternal youth and beauty, all at the expense of their oh soul. Oh my god. So good. And then there's, yeah, so there's a lot of good ones. So, like I said, this is another, not sponsored by Sparknotes, but hey, Sparknotes, hit us up if uh, 
you know, if you want to do any sp- sponsorships. But this has been a Spark Notes moment with Summer. Um, All right. Okay. Um, should we talk about what we're reading? Well, or yeah. The, yeah, mine is less what um, I'm reading because I was kind of just finishing books that I talked about last time. Um, but I did dig out something I read recently because I wanted to recommend it because I thought it was good. Um, okay. So this is a novel. I also read, um, over Christmas, I read one of the Dragon Riders of Pern books. I'm a huge fan of Dragon Riders of Pern and that series is like 20, 30 years old, um, and pretty well known. So it didn't seem like the best thing to give a plug to but if you like fantasy and sci-fi at the same time and you've never read dragon riders of pern i would highly recommend it love it written by a woman um which is pretty uh big at the time kind of 80s maybe late 70s i don't remember exactly how old it is but anyway the book i really wanted to recommend is called rock paper scissors by Naya Maria Eit. It's a Danish author. I guess sort of appropriately to number the stars. I wasn't even thinking about that. Um, and it was translated from Danish by K.E. Semmel um, by Open Letter Press. It, it doesn't sound that interesting on the surface level because it is a story about a man like, losing control of his life and becoming violent. Which I feel like there are a lot of stories about, but I just found it very gripping. It's just one of those books I couldn't put down. Um, And I will say it, you know, it's got a couple rape scenes. There's a lot of violence. So if that's not something you're interested in reading, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But if you're looking for just a pretty thrilling kind of psychological book... I would recommend that. I really enjoyed it. So, so, still reading the one book for leadership because, you know, that's, we're doing it for the whole the year. The eternal so. book. The eternal book. Leaders eat the last. But, I read Number of the Stars by Lois Lowry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I actually, st- I finished, I listened to the audiobook. I, I've been getting more into audiobooks mm. lately because I found that with being so busy and being so stressed out, a lot of my attention when I get home has been on just de-stressing. Yeah. So basically, like, just sitting there and, like, vegging out. It's important to rest. And, yeah, and so for me, I felt... It's a thing I feel guilty about is, like, not reading more and, like, getting burnt out on reading, and I don't like that because I love reading. It's something I love to do, and mm-hmm. obviously I do. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of things <laughs> you in my better. life that point to my, have a podcast point to my love of reading. Um, so what I I listened to over the break, I listened to um, The Glass Castle, which is the, it's a memoir by um, Jeanette, what's her last name? Sorry, I'm pulling it up on Goodreads. Jeanette Walls, I believe her name is. Yeah, by Jeanette Walls. And it kind of talks about her life um, growing up with her parents who were, they 
loved them, but they were basically like nomads. Mm-hmm. Um, they traveled around. They didn't have a lot of money. The kids didn't have food a lot of the time. Her parents were pretty selfish. Her dad was an alcoholic. Her mother like wanted to be an artist, but was a teacher who had her teaching license and just like didn't want to work mm-hmm. and just wanted to like paint and become so. I mean, I feel all that. This stuff, and it was <laughs> right. I know. I can understand it, but they also had three children. Yeah. <laughs> no, one, two, three, four children. And were basically, like, neglecting their children. And her dad had always promised that he was going to build them this, like, glass castle ah. is what he was going to do. Like, he... And to be fair, like, her father was very intelligent. He was in... He could do, like, you know, engineering and any electricity thing. And mm-hmm. he read a lot of books and was, like, an atheist and all this different stuff. And his... And taught them a lot of things. And they grew up in gifted... Going, like, being in gifted classes and being very smart. But they were very poor and had you know ragged clothing and all this different stuff and it turns out like um and i kind of don't want to spoil i mean it's it's about her life so i guess it's not much of a spoiler <laughs> if you haven't read it um it was it was a good book sometimes it was hard to believe some of it but like if somebody's writing about their life then obviously like you know these things happen yeah it's like we talked about like the holocaust it's hard to believe some of this stuff happened but it's true, it did happen. So it was good, and it was nice to listen to, and it was interesting, but, you know, it kind of did seem like sometimes the story, like, dragged on with it. was like, oh my god, I can't believe, like, this thing's happening now. Oh my yeah. god, now this <laughs> thing's happening. But I, I mean, I would recommend it, and um, it was turned into a movie, I believe, in, like, 2017. Okay. I haven't watched it yet, but I listened to it because a co-worker had recommended it to me, and it popped up when I was trying to find something to read on Libby, and I was like, oh, cool, and it's an audiobook. I guess I'll listen. It's read by the author as well. Nice. So she... You know, she gets to put more into it. Um, oh, apparently my copy of The Hobbit came in. The audiobook, because I was going to re-listen to it. So that's good to know. They didn't tell me that. Um, anyway, <laughs> so... <laughs> um, so next week you'll I, be talking about... Next week. <laughs> are we going to read a book in a week? <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. I'll be talking about The Hobbit. <laughs> Um, well, actually, let me see if they have the Lord of the Flies audiobook. Um, but I've also started reading, I only did, like, the first chapter before bed the other day. I started reading Raimi Nightingale by Kate D. Camillo. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I just started. And let me see if I can pull up a little uh, synopsis and just kind of read what it's about. Because it had been a recommendation from somebody. Is that the author of um, because and of The Tale of Despero? Yes, yeah, Yeah, like all that stuff. Um, So, Raimi Clark has come to realize that everything, absolutely everything, depends on her, her, and she has a plan. If Raimi can win the Little Miss Central Florida tire competition, (laughs) then her father, who left town two days ago with a dental hygienist, will see Raimi's picture in the paper and maybe come home. To win, not only does Raimi have to do good deeds and learn how to twirl the baton, she also has to uh, contend with the wispy, frequently fainting... Louisiana Elefante, who has a show business background, and the fiery, stubborn Beverly Topinski, who's determined to sabotage the contest. But as the competition approaches, loneliness, loss, and unanswerable questions draw the three girls into unlikely friendship and challenge each of them to come to the, to, to the rescue in unexpected ways. And it's actually um, a trilogy. So this is the first one, and then she wrote, I think Beverly like just came out this past year or something. Okay. Um, but she wrote, like, Raimi Nightingale, and then she wrote the Louisiana one, and then the Beverly one just came out. So um, That sounds amazing. I want to read that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Raimi Nightingale is what it's called. Okay. Um, 
so yeah, the Three Rancheros, I guess, is the name of the series. <laughs> so it's Louisiana's Way Home, and then Beverly right here is the one. That, okay. Um, let me see. When did this come out? Yeah, it came out September 24th. First published September 24th, 2019. So this one just came out, the Beverly All one. Right. Um, yeah, so I had, it had been rec- recommended at the Scholastic Summit. Whoop, you know, daily <laughs> the, the, the episode mentioned for it. Um, and I've been wanting to read it, and I just hadn't gotten around to reading it. And then I was doing um, an activity with our middle schoolers, like a, a book tasting, who my the previous media specialist had done something similar, and I kind of twisted it a little bit. And I'd seen that Ramey Nightingale was actually on our sh- like we had it in the library, and I was like, oh, I should read this. And so I left it out all day because I wanted the, the you know the students to be able to choose first. Yeah. But I kept like looking at it and hoping that nobody would pick it up. But I kept looking at it, and then when it got to the end of the day and nobody had checked it out, I was like, I'll take this as my sign that I guess I can check it out now. So, so I have it, and I'm I'm gonna read through that as well. Yeah. So, I've got a couple things up my sleeve that I'm reading. Yeah. All right. So, so, so what what's your next what's your next book? So, my next choice will be Lord of the Flies. Ooh. Wait, what who wrote it? Uh William That's Bolden right. Davis. <laughs> I cannot yeah. remember that. Oh, I got one. Nice. <laughs> yes, Lord of the Flies by William Golding. I'm <laughs> I told you it's one of my favorite books. Great book. I'm really excited to reread it, and I'm really excited to talk about it because I know there's a lot of um, yes, there's an audiobook. It's a book that I don't feel that people fully understand a lot of the yeah. time, so I'm very excited to get into that. Well, I'll put the audiobook on hold just in case, nice. but I could probably read it faster than I can get the audiobook. <laughs> it's pretty short. It's a quick read. To, yeah, to my it's recollection. Quick. A quick but intense I... read. Yes. I probably still have because I have my copy from high school, so it's probably yeah. got all my notes in it. So I'm like, yay! <laughs> Sweet. All right. All right. So, um, if you would like to read along with us, we're going to be reading *Lord of the Flies* by William Golding, as we just said. Um, and if uh, again, if you you know have any recommendations of books that you might want us to read, or you know things that you might want us to talk about, like other things you think we should mention when we are talking about these books. Yeah. Um, if there's anything you think we're overlooking or you would like us to talk about more, um, just drop us a line uh, on Twitter at I've read that cast or uh, by email. And I can never remember the email address. Hold on. Hold on. I was about to pull it up. I was hoping to get it up faster than you could say it. Here, I'll stall for uh, time. I've read that podcast at gmail.com. Okay. I've read that podcast at gmail.com kind of a mouthful i don't know why i made it so long but that's okay (laughs) yeah send us an email tweet at us um slide into our dms but not in a weird way (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) definitely not in a weird way yeah we would love to hear from you um if you like the show uh or you think it has potential (laughs) um hop on itunes leave us a review um it really helps us out, helps us reach new listeners. Tell people about us if you know someone who you think would enjoy it. An educator, a parent, someone who just likes children's lit. Um, or someone who just likes any of the books that we've talked about. Yeah. Definitely get in contact with mm-hmm. us. We're lonely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yes. We need more people. It'll be nice. Like, if, if this becomes 
you know, if it gets to the point, let's like put it in the, let's put it, I'm going to put the energy out in the world. When, not if, okay. when this podcast becomes more popular and we have more people listening, we can have a little book club. Yeah. That'll be nice. And you know what? Think, just think about I it. I enjoy doing this even if no one is listening. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do. I mean, we wouldn't have done, you know, like five, six actually now episodes if we didn't enjoy doing this, I don't think. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I I certainly wouldn't have because my life is very busy, but like, I like you and I like reading books, so like... There we go. Why yeah. not? Win-win. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So that was Number the Stars. Mm-hmm. Very quick read. And... Thank you for listening. I'm Summer. I'm Michelle. And this has been I've Read That. Stay peachy, pony boy. <laughs> it's never going to get old. You know, I guarantee it. Never. So good. Ever. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>it's like the things like it comes with all the little metal pieces and you can like build structures out of them is a metal toy construction set yeah okay erector it's a transformer too apparently (laughs) hang on what it's a a transformer i looked up erector set and when i go to the wikipedia it says uh erector redirects here for the transformers character see erector transformers his name's just erector Oh no. I wonder if he looks like that. Micromasters? What is this? Are you getting deep into the Transformers lore? I am. <gasps> There's one called Big Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh there are a lot of these guys. A lot of these guys. It doesn't surprise me. I gotta give you another one. Long tooth. Long tooth. That sounds like a Land Before Time character. Euler and Slide. Slide? I want to be Slide. <laughs> I'll be Euler. <laughs> There's Rotor Storm, Aquafend, Deluge, oh. Deftwing, Iron Fist. That's a different thing. <laughs> and then a bunch of Japanese ones that are the OGs. Oh, here's a Rector. He's a crane. Okay. Uh, assault base. Sure. Okay, (laughs) let's let's bring it on back.